crikey, another huge week, Stewie. What do we got this week? On this week's show, success as Australia and New Zealand take out the 2023 Women's Football World Cup. Footy finally set to return to WA. The joke's now on the Joker as Djokovic tests positive. Some basketball. And where in the world is Osama Bin Laden? Let's get cracking. Well, Stewie, before we do a bit of a news roundup, uh, we thought we'd start with a bit of a what caught your eye and what did you miss? Oh, what caught my eye this week was, was actually the movie Aeroplane. The first time I've actually ever seen that movie. I caught it the other night. It's absolutely hilarious if you haven't seen it. And who should be offered the role as the co-pilot in a movie? It's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a cracker. Yes, the great Leslie Nielsen. I, uh, I was brought up on Leslie Nielsen and those, the Naked Guns and, and Police Academy and, and Airplane as well, those sort of movies, watching at a very young age with my old man. It's been a hell of a long time since I saw it, but that's a cracker. Yeah, well, certainly for, for me being in the travel industry, it's amazing I've never actually seen the movie until now, but it definitely caught my eye when it, when it came on the screen the other night and, yeah, seeing Kareem sitting there. The, the funny, one of the funny parts of it was at one point he... Uh, spoiler for anyone who maybe hasn't seen it, but at one point... <laughs> I don't know he, if it's that sort in, of movie. Yeah, well, true, <laughs> it's been, been long enough. Um, but, yeah, at one point he actually ingests some poisonous fish and... and passes away i believe and as they're trying to drag him away out of the cockpit he's actually wearing his lakers shorts and basketball shoes as well oh, yes i do remember that name yeah so but um one of the hilarious things I, I found when i was researching the movie when they offered him the role they actually offered him a thirty thousand dollar fee to play the part but his agent actually counter offered 35 because kareem actually wanted to buy a rug that cost that much how random <laughs> is that <laughs> Oh, that is brilliant. That is brilliant. Yeah. It's funny you mention that, mate, because I, I had a similar thing. Uh, just by chance, I happened to turn on Seinfeld last night when I was preparing for this, actually, in the background. And, and the episode, The Letter, I think it's from season three, uh, came on. And uh, it's the one where Elaine goes to, or they, they get free tickets to the Yankees game in the owner's box. And Elaine wears her Baltimore Orioles hat. Uh, and, of course, you know, a fracas ensues and she gets kicked out. So it's really interesting that that episode would come on when just before we record. But uh, on the sports etiquette, Stewie, would you ever wear an opposition uh, apparel in an owner's box? I mean, box? Not, in, not into an owner's box. That's, if anything, you would maybe just go, you just go in civvies. But that, yeah, that's a real slap in the face if you've been given specifically seats in an owner's box and you turn up yeah, wearing an opposition's colour. That's, yeah, that's not on for me. I must admit, I have worn my Swans gear in members at the Dockers at this... Crows and at the Eagles before, but an owner's box is a bridge too far. I yeah, think. that's very, yeah, I think that's very different. Very, very different. What'd you miss? Dare I say it, I think it probably will be the same for both of us. Probably the second week in a row that I've regretted not watching a Carlton game. That's, <laughs> that's on, a rare honestly so, something I never thought I would be saying, especially this year, but yeah, an absolute cracker of a finish to the round. Of, you know, it wasn't a great round of footy in terms of some of the, the games being probably a bit less than average. Um, you know, some of the coaches even commented on that. But yeah, that, that finish was absolutely fantastic and, and some really great last two minutes uh, of games with, you know, four of the games decided by less than a kick. Um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, mate. Unfortunately, with the very lack of sport on at the moment, I think uh, we'll be missing the same things unless we happen to see. Yeah, no, same thing for me. I, I Another missed another cracking Carlton game, evidently. So and good yeah, to see Carlton need to winning. Watch them this week. Yeah, it's really it's good to see them winning. It really is. So a couple of apologies this week before we get into the news roundup. Uh, we did make a few gaffes last week. Uh, Essendon are technically undefeated amidst their postponed game. We we neglected to mention that yes, they are two and zero and technically undefeated, much like Port well, they, and they were. were. Yes, they were. were. Yes, they were. <laughs> It was, an, it was an accident last week. Yes, you're right. They're not anymore. Yes. And then, uh, yeah, thanks for saving me to do an apology next week on that one. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one, <laughs> then the other one, of course, was uh, the Eagles Super Bowl was actually 2004 and Sav didn't join the team till 2007. Now, I thought I bought myself a bit of space by having a, a bet each way either year of, of uh, the year he joined. But evidently, my memory is not quite as good as I thought it was. Uh, we're getting old, unfortunately. <laughs> 
<laughs> Interesting bit of news coming out of the NFL with the New England Patriots signing Cam Newton to a one-year deal. Uh, the former 2015 MVP, he also took the Panthers to the Super Bowl. So big signing for the Patriots. Which they lost to the uh, Denver Broncos and the great Peyton Manning. It is a big signing for the Patriots. It was curious that he, he lasted this long uh, out on the free agency market, but his stocks have gone down a little. He could be quite a nice little bridge while they work on their recent draft pick, Jarrett Stidham. Uh, but it was a good, it was a pretty low risk deal for the for the Patriots, really, because uh, it's it's incentive laden deal. So it's a win win. If he plays well, then they'll pay him for the incentives, and if he doesn't play well, they don't need to pay him much at all. So it was actually quite a uh, a canny little move once again by the Patriots. And speaking of the Patriots, the NFL's fined them $1.1 million and took away a third round pick uh, in next year's draft amongst the punishment for their television crews filming the field and sideline during a December 8th game between the Cincinnati Bengals and Cleveland Browns. Spygate part Interesting. two. Mm. Interesting. Great news for uh, Australian soccer and specifically women's soccer with Australia getting the Women's World Cup in 2023. Yeah, this is this is huge. Uh, you know, to be named co-host of this this massive event is obviously great for us as as neighbours, and it's fantastic for the respective economies, which you know you'd expect this to bring in quite a lot of money. The thing I guess that I found really interesting, probably the big story about this, was the ridiculous way that FIFA really pushed for Colombia to get votes, um, even though their technical score was only a two point nine out of five compared with Australia and New Zealand getting a four point one. Um, for people who aren't sure what this all sort, sort of means. It's to do with the, the level of the stadiums, the teams and, and referees facilities, accommodation, international broadcasting centres, a whole plethora of different factors. And we well and truly outscored Colombia on that. So it, it actually saw the UEFA block of European countries make up eight of the 13 votes that Colombia got. The rest, not surprisingly, came from South America. Um, but good old Switzerland voted for us, which was fantastic. So it kind I'm not of so neutral this time. No, no. Well, it was nice of them to, to vote for us. Um, for me, I guess it sort of begs a question. It's one that we could talk about for hours, but is it actually beneficial to have these types of events in developing nations? Well, it's, first of all, it's nice to see us get a win because obviously we had that one that Qatar won and that was amidst scandal upon scandal with uh, old Sep Blatter, uh, Septic Blatter. Um, <laughs> developing nations, well, I, I guess with COVID going on at the moment, I can't see developing nations winning any major sporting tournaments anytime soon when they need to use no. the public purse for health and medical stuff. True. I mean, it's if you. I suppose if you look at Colombia, it's it's an emerging economy, but it's still quite unsafe. They've still got three of the top fifty cities in the world in terms of homicides, um, including Cali, which is the third biggest city in the country. They've got over three murders a day there, so it's it's not a an amazingly safe place. Um, if you cast your mind back to the twenty fourteen FIFA World Cup in in Brazil even just days before the tournament, there were still massive pro uh, protests about the money being spent and what it could have been used for. Most of the stadiums that they were built there have either been abandoned or repurposed. It's just such a huge waste of money in these sorts of areas. If you look at the Estadio Nacional in Brasilia, um, it's nearly a 73,000 seat, absolute beauty of a, of a stadium. It's the second most expensive stadium in the world, actually, behind Wembley. Brasilia as a as a city doesn't even have a team in the top division in Brazilian soccer. So the nearest uh, top flight side is nearly 300 kilometers away. So it's it's just such a waste. Um, and there's there's other ones. I mean, the worst one was probably the Arena de Amazonia in Manaus, which is in the Amazonian jungle. You can't even access it by car. So wow. this stadium was probably yeah it was built in pretty much one of the poorest parts of Brazil at a cost of 220 million dollars. It was used for four World Cup matches and a handful during the 2016 Olympics. Now it basically sits empty most of the time. So these are where I suppose the, the big advantages are for places like Australia and New Zealand who have these established stadiums that are well and truly World Cup ready. So yeah, I, I think it's great that it's that it's made its way, you know, to to Australia and New Zealand. But yeah, the for me, it's just it's really worrying that FIFA were pushing so hard for Colombia to to get those votes, and you kind of wonder where that was coming from. Yeah, I'd, well, the FIFA's uh, been tarred with corruption 
for a while now. But great, great for, for um, the, the game here in Australia. Great for uh, girls and young ladies who, you know, get to watch their heroes like Sam Kerr run around the park. Big news in the tennis world, Stewie. Yeah, the joke is back on Novak. So after we, we spoke last week about the, the hideous Adria tour and several players testing positive for coronavirus due to the negligent nature of the tournament, and I think negligent is the right word this time, Nathan. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, look, Karma's well and truly bit Novak Djokovic on his bony ass, and both he and his wife, Yelena, have contracted the virus. Not only that, but Victor Troiki also tested positive. And if you remember, he was the guy who Djokovic was playing in that uh, that game where they brought the nine-year-old out to have a hit. And he's also dragged his coach, the winner of the twenty or the two thousand and one Wimbledon final epic against Pat Rafter, Mr. Goran Ivanisevic, into it. So that's that's very disappointing. Tennis is looking worse than that piece of artwork that was was restored last week. Yeah, it really is. Um, to make it even more farcical, Novak's father's actually trying to blame the outbreak on Gregor Dimitrov as opposed to his son's absolute stupidity and disregard for what's happening in the world right now. So not, uh, not a great call from Mr. Djokovic either. Um, we also touched on it a bit in last week's show, but my biggest concern right now is just how much this has, spe- has spread throughout the community thanks to the event. Do you think Djokovic should be penalised for this or does he get a free pass because it was sanctioned by the Serbian government? Well, this is a really interesting one because they need stars. And if you suspend all your stars, then less people will watch. But you also have to send a message. So uh, did you see the video of them partying after the tour? What, with them, their shirts off, dancing yeah, down did, on a bar? Yeah, I did see did that. Did you hear the song that was playing? No, I didn't. Lyrics something along the lines of, ain't no party killed nobody. Oh, Do you know that wow. song? It's not in my wheelhouse as a metal fan. <laughs> it's, but I, it's you, might, not, you might know. You don't know. Nah, not, not one I know of, but gee whiz, they couldn't have picked a worse song for that. Talk about irony, hey? I mean, you just can't yeah. make that shit up. But, but, but also, I don't know if you saw that Sasha Zverev, uh, yet another player who tested positive after the tour. So he posted a message about being deeply sorry about putting people at, at risk. And he said, quote, I will proceed to follow the self-isolating guidelines advised by our doctors. And then literally two hours later, he was seen partying on the French Riviera. He actually hasn't tested positive yet, though. I will just, I will quickly clarify that. But it wouldn't be surprising at all if he did test positive sometime soon. So, yeah, it just kind of shows how self-centered and arrogant a lot of these players are. and They probably do feel like they're untouchable because you know without them yeah what sort of what sort of product is is being put out there but it's it's not a great look and it probably actually continues to cast real doubt over some of these upcoming tournaments so i i just i really feel like there should be some kind of a punishment for them breaking these isolation protocols whether it's monetary whether it's deducting points from their their rankings i don't know but something's got to be done it's it's ridiculous my apologies. I thought he tested positive. That was a report I read from somewhere. You never, with these things, you never know what's what's fact and what's fiction, do you? But uh, Ben Rothenberg from the New York Times wrote a really uh, interesting quote, which I think sums it up. So I quote: "My concern with tennis attempting to come back mid-pandemic, not that precautions can't be taken, but that too many tennis players are conditioned to be wildly self-centered and have no concept of how to act for the greater interest of a larger group." Philip Plein has already deleted the frame of his Insta story that most clearly showed Zverev partying today. No matter how lazy, sloppy and selfish players are about following public health guidelines mid-pandemic, they sure can spring to quick action to cover their asses. Yeah, it's absolutely perfect the way he's put that. And yeah, it's, as I say, it's maddening seeing this, seeing these players out here just with blatant disregard for not just their health, but also the health of everyone else that's around them. I mean, he's just been surrounded by a bunch of players who have now tested positive. Does he not think that, you know, six days later, he could potentially still, you know, test positive from there? It's, it's ridiculous. Absolutely well, ridiculous. I, I can't help but think of an old adage, actions speak louder than words. Well, very quick NRL news, just to prove we know that exists. Uh, Corey Horsberg from the, or Horsborough, see, we don't know rugby. I don't know how to say his name. From the Canberra Raiders had a bit of a tanty, tearfully flipping the bird to the crowd after suffering an injury in a 25 to 24 golden point loss to Parramatta. And after making the decision to stand down, Stephen Kearney as coach last week, the Melbourne Storm have put the New Zealand Warriors in more pain after a 50 to 6 smashing the first time since 1931 that a mid-season coaching replacement has come in after an axing and been kept to zero at halftime. Another one of those weird stats. But Stewie, 
The New Zealand Warriors haven't been home. They had to leave New Zealand. They had to be in a hub for the entire season. Granted, I'm talking as someone who doesn't know all the facts and context here, but geez, it's rough to sack a coach in that invite in that situation. Yeah, you've you've really got to feel their pain. It it would be you know it'd be like the Eagles sacking Adam Simpson or you know the the Dockers sacking whoever the hell their coach is right now. So Jolo. there we go. Yeah, see there you go. It's been it's been that uh, that soon since Lyon got the ass that I've forgotten about it. But uh, no, it's it's a really really rough situation for them. You, you just can't expect a team to come across and spend all this time not even in the same country. It's not like they've they've flown into state. They've actually left their country, and to to expect them to be doing well is uh, yeah, it's it's just unreasonable. It is a it's a fascinating stat though that you said about the you know the, the it being the first time that a mid season coaching replacement has come in and been kept to zero at half time. We always talk about how often that's the most dangerous time to play a team is when they've actually had a coaching change. Usually they come out fired up and and absolutely smash it, but. Well, it seems to happen in the AFL. We don't know if that's the case with the NRL. But yes, the old the coach-sacking bump teams will get. But I, I'll tell you what, if ever there was a time to get a free pass, surely it's when you're playing out of a hub in pandemic times. Even if he is rubbish, let him coach out the season and, and they're going to be paying more money for a new coach. I mean, again, maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe people will, will tell me that he was right to go. But from someone on the outside looking in who doesn't follow rugby, that seemed to be a bit harsh. Oh, very much so. Very much so. No, it's it's disappointing, but yeah, again, maybe yeah, maybe there's things that we don't know. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about the topic of cardboard cutouts in the stands and some of the dubious ones that have slipped through, but this one absolutely takes the cake. Leeds United were left red-faced when one of their cutouts submitted, printed and placed in the stands was none other than Osama Bin Laden. Oh, dear. An apology was issued by the team, but it's pretty horrifying that probably the most well-known terrorist of this millennium wasn't picked up. So what more can you say but bloody Bloody hell. Quick little cricket roundup before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode today, AFL and basketball. Uh, I don't know if you saw, Stewie, but the South African exhibition match, the 3TC, was postponed. I, I did see it was postponed. I- 3TC stands for three-team cricket. The rules are as clear as mud. It is absurd and stupid. Well, I, I don't know why, and granted, okay, it's only an exhibition, and I can understand that if it's raising money and, and you know, if you have three teams, then you have more star players. Um, but teams take different turns batting and bowling to one another. It's all very confusing. It will, I can't, It doesn't sound like a good spectacle to me. Uh, so it's the AFLX of cricket then? Yeah, well, absolutely. And this is just after the, uh, in the netball world, the super netballs introduced a two-point shot, even though all the fans didn't want it. It's like, seriously, guys, we might as well just put up a backboard and be done with it. Yeah. <laughs> I did see that actually in the netball. Very interesting to see the sort of backlash that that got. It's, uh, why do they never why? listen to the fans? Why do, t- why do sports insist on creating all these new... Obviously, in cricket, we also have the 100, which, you know, I, I absolutely... Look, I'm a bit of a purist, but I hate the 100 because they're five ball overs. It's not even... And, okay, granted, historically, way back in the day, there were eight ball overs, but there have been six ball overs for a bloody long time. Why are they mucking around with that? Is 2020 not enough? You need to go even lower, and it's only 20 less balls. What are they doing? Yeah, when, when's it going to end up as, like, a 1-1... One, one? You know, everyone comes in and has six balls to... So it's basically just a super over for a match. And this is obviously off the back of the Big Bash in waning popularity of recent times too because they're starting to, to kill the goose that laid the golden egg by stretching out the season too far. Yeah, that, that's another one that was always curious. The, the whole point of T20 and the, the popularity of it was because it was shortened. So why would you then extend the season even longer i know the last season just it just seemed like it dragged on and dragged on and eventually it got to the point where i think i was just especially you know being in perth where, where our team was just absolutely abysmal last season it just well, it seemed was, like it wanted it over it was one of the rare seasons where the scorchers didn't perform well and one the great thing about the big bash is even though you have a rooting interest you're still keen to watch the other teams because there's Aussie stars and international stars on every team. But the T20 has really lost its sheen a little bit for me. I'm much more interested in the test game and the World Cup ODIs. Uh, but yeah, 3TC, I don't think it's a big deal if it's postponed. Probably not. 
probably might. What actually is a bigger deal to me, though, is Nathan Coulton Isle and AJ Ty not getting a gig with WA. Yeah, no kidding, right? So Coulton Isle, speaking of the World Cup, Coulton Isle played for Australia in the World Cup and he actually had a really good game. Granted, he didn't play a hell of a lot of matches, but there was one game where he helped get us over the line. And AJ Tyre was, at one stage, the best slow ball bowler in short-form cricket in the world, or at least top three. So, yeah, this is huge for WA. Let's hope there's some good kids coming up uh, behind them. And that's the reason why they didn't get the gig. Yeah, I mean, it's look, it's no real secret how much we've struggled with the longer format of the game. We haven't won the competition since about 1076 AD when Noah was our fast bowler, knocking over <laughs> two of every type of batsman. But look, I understand I understand the decision to go younger with, you know, Ty's 33, Coulton Isle's 32. But then the decision to bring in Cameron Gannon on a three-year deal, who's 31, it just it seems really odd to me. So uh, I know they said that they, they didn't really want to sign uh, Coulton Isle up for anything. Oh, sorry, they didn't want to sign him up just for the 50-over stuff, but why not? I guess, I guess there are a couple of things, and you're right. AJ Ty is not a great test player or, or long-form player in the Shield, the four-day uh, competition. And Coulton Isle has been traditionally made of glass. So... It's a bit of a head scratcher in one way, but in another way, maybe it's just being risk averse in a time when there's a lot of risk around. Yeah, potentially. As yeah, as I say, I don't necessarily understand the the logic though behind getting rid of two guys in their early thirties and then replacing them with a guy in his early thirties on a three year deal. Doesn't make sense to me. It is a little curious. It is a little curious. Now, one other little thing that I did want to discuss around the cricket was something that I just saw not too long ago about Mark Taylor talking about the prospect of Adelaide Oval or the Optus Stadium hosting the iconic Boxing Day test between Australia and India. Great. I mean, it's it's unlikely that it'll happen, but I guess the way that things are going in Victoria at the moment, it's it's likely that the MCG may not be able to have more than ten or 20,000 people by Christmas time. And you think about how that would look on TV on such a, a big, big you know, a big occasion like the Boxing Day Test. Well, it's if India Adelaide this year, Perth, isn't it? Is it India? It is, yeah. So yeah, that's it is huge. Ad- that's huge. Yeah. So if Adelaide or Perth can host full stadiums, why wouldn't you at least consider it? Wow. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I hadn't heard that one. Interesting. Yeah, I, I literally saw it all of about an hour ago. So uh, it's just, yeah, it's it's such a an exciting thing for, certainly for me and, and for yourself to think about, obviously, as we, we live in Perth. Uh, if it went to Adelaide, you know, that's fine. It's the Adelaide Oval always plays difficult. So I think there'd be a lot of people that would be happy to see it go there. But I yeah, just hope what it a, goes ahead, mate. That's the main thing. That's true. But yeah, what a huge turn up that would be if, you know, Victoria wasn't able to host a Boxing Day test. Well, and that's interesting. It's, it's not surprising that such comments would start to be made because today Victoria announced 75 new cases off the back of 41 the day before, I think. So they're really spiking over there. And that's a nice little segue into AFL for this week. So whoever did uh, uh, have Conor, Conor McKenna in their office pool for first positive, uh, I hope they, they didn't pay out because rumours of his demise were greatly exaggerated. Turns out that Connor wasn't positive it was a false positive and we did speculate on this and there were reports when we recorded last week when that happened and no doubt uh, there'll be uh, more news coming out tonight footy classifieds uh, airing uh, in the eastern states as we speak and it hasn't come on here yet so there'll probably be more news on there tonight because they often break stories but in the end Connor still copped a one match ban because he did do the wrong thing by being in places where he shouldn't and originally it was reported that he went to a home open. I think in the end it was more like four or five home opens. So he was kind of going around the place more than, than first reported. Uh, so he copped his one-match ban. Again, possibly a slap on the wrist, but it was considered time served because he missed this, uh, this week's clash with Carlton. So, yeah, the false positive, I suppose, a, a bit of a luck of the Irish situation there hey. for, for Connor. Look, it's, I mean, it's good news, obviously, the fact that it is a false positive and we had to, we had to know that this was going to be the case. It was always going to be the case that, that it was a false positive, but this is great news for the AFL. The fact that, you know, whilst it obviously threw a lot of, a lot of the games into turmoil and, and threw the scheduling all up in the air, it's still great news that we don't have to worry about an official positive yet. So, you know, certainly good news. 
And just before we get onto the big news for the AFL this week, uh, another sad and unfortunate story for the round was injuries. So we had a lot of big names and a lot of important players for their respective sides go out this week. Nat Fife, Phil Davis, Zach Williams and Jack Siebel all did hammies. Aaron Norton, Sam Lloyd, Jack Silvani, Dane Zorko and Tom Stewart could also be out for some time. While Sam Naismith did an ACL, because, you know, we didn't need any tall players. And Jeremy Howe did a PCL in what in some angles looked very innocuous and in one angle looked really, really bad. Oh, this, that was honestly it made me feel sick. That's one of the worst injuries I've seen for a long time. And you're so right. Every angle except for one just looked like a little bit of a knock. And then you see that one angle where his leg goes almost 90 degrees. It's just, ugh, it still, still makes me cringe as I, as I think about it. But yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, we spoke a while ago about all of the, uh, all of the hamstrings that, that were likely to happen in, in this restart. And it took a couple of weeks before they started happening, but sure enough, what a, a long list of people. And, and as you said, some really big names to come out of that. You took the words right out of my mouth there, actually. We were worried about and we speculated about injuries. And rather than happening in first week back, they have started to occur a little bit later than that. But who would have thought that Taylor Adams looking like Carrie on prom night wasn't the worst uh, spectacle to see <laughs> on the evening? <laughs> But the big oh, news yeah, is, Chewie, yeah. as I say, 75 cases in Victoria, meaning that really the proverbial has hit the fans. So the Queensland government have said, sorry, Victorian teams, you're not coming in this weekend. And the AFL have had to be very, very flexible, as they've uh, touted themselves as being. Uh, and they've had to switch around some fixtures. So now our teams will be facing off this week. Yeah, we both actually have a chance of winning a game, which is exciting. I think we'll play you back into form when I was hoping we might catch the Melbourne Demons. Well, look, it's yeah, certainly good news for us. I mean, I know Richmond weren't particularly great, and we'll, we'll get to them later, but uh, it's probably good news for us catching you guys right now. But, you know, it's, it's still not, uh, it's, it's not a given four points for us the way we're, we're travelling right now. Speaking of crowds, unfortunately, it means that the Swans Demons, which was going to be played to 10,000 fans at the SCG, uh, will now be played to less fans in Queensland between the Swans and the Eagles. But I'll tell you what, the way the Swans have been going at the SCG lately, maybe it's good we're playing at a different venue. Uh, as a result of this, Carlton and St Kilda have been moved to Thursday. A couple of rules. So any Queensland team that plays against Melbourne against a Melbourne team in Queensland is required to quarantine after the match for 14 days. Any Queensland team that plays in Melbourne is required to quarantine for 14 days on returning to Queensland, which means that there's some speculation that the Gold Coast may not go back after two games in Melbourne or a Victoria coming up. They've got Geelong. And any Queensland team that plays in another state against a team who has been in Melbourne in the preceding 14 days is required to quarantine on their return to Queensland, which means... WA Footy Hub, finally. It could not come quick enough, honestly. So, yeah, after a long push and what will end up as five rounds in Queensland, the Eagles and Dockers finally get to come home for a derby in round seven. Um, I'm actually excited about what it's being preceded by, though, with, with Geelong and Collingwood playing on Friday night. I think that's going to be a cracker. Absolutely. But the other interesting thing, I don't know if you've seen, Shui, it looks like New South Wales will be a hub too coming up. So there's been some speculation about South Australia. And I was going to say, how about the Northern Territory? Maybe we give them a gig. But uh, it looks like New South Wales is going to get a gig in the hub land coming up soon too. Well, it's, I mean, it's good news. It's maybe not great news for, for you, as you say, with, uh, with the Swans not playing great footy at the, at the SCG. I find that really interesting, though, because GWS have played four of their first five games or will have played four of their first five games at home. So how many more home games are they going to give them? Well, it's one of those seasons, Stewie. We're just happy to have the games at all, I think. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. interesting. I, uh, I, did, I did watch all of the Collingwood and GWS game, but I, I uh, listened on the radio on the drive home. I taped it, so I got to watch it from the start. But it was interesting that texters during the ABC call of that game, and by texters, I mean people sending in an SMS, not sentient felt-tip pens, just to clarify. Ah, nice. Uh, but uh, they, were, they were texting in, having a sad that Collingwood had to come over to Perth. And it's like, come on, guys, you play so many games in Melbourne every year. But, you know, that was before all this hits. So they might be away a little bit longer than they first thought. Yes. It, it, it is always funny every year hearing the complaints that people have. And they, they never will understand the, the joys of spending half of your season on the opposite side of the country the way that, that the teams in Perth do. <laughs> so speaking of 
the uh, Boxing Day test potentially coming here. People are starting to get excited about the potential of a grand final in Perth. Yeah, this would be an absolutely massive draw card for, for Perth. I mean, the great thing about the area is that, you know, next to the uh, next to the stadium, we've got such great infrastructure in terms of three massive, massive hotels that, that would be able to, to do this. We've got the Crown Towers, Crown Promenade, uh, and what's the other one? Jeez, I've gone blank on the, the third one, which, uh, which is not great. Anyway, there's three, three Crown backpacks. properties. It, it, no, it's not the Fremantle Backpackers. No. We've got... Uh, well, look, we've got three great crown properties that are, are walking distance to the stadium. So it would be an, the crown jewels. Yes, that is no, it's not that. <laughs> look, there are so many great things around that part of Perth. So I, I think it'd be a, a fascinating thing to, to be able to have such a huge event played in front of 60,000 people, as opposed to, you know, as we alluded to before, potentially 10,000 people at the MCG, which would just be a disaster. So. Um, and it's not looking like it'll be a massive advantage anyway because the Eagles and Dockers are probably not going to be in any sort of contention anyway. So why not bring it across? What do you think of the, pe- the spectacle, Stewie? I, I'm, I'm beginning to get a bit iffy on the artificial crowd noise. Yeah, it started off really positive, but it's starting to, <laughs> starting to get a bit more disappointing as the weeks go by. Uh, I, look, we just need the real thing as soon as possible. The thing that bothered me was now that there are starting to be crowds, at the venues, the artificial noise is actually drowning them out. And the idea of, of, you know, I heard a power chant kind of come up, you know, very softly and stuff like that. But I've also really enjoyed the chat between the umpires and the players, particularly in that Collingwood GWS game. And we'll do our roundup uh, in a second. But the, the, the chatter, I, I've decided that I've pre- preferred hearing the chatter to the artificial crowd noise. So bugger that off, I say. If there's a real crowd there, great, we'll get that too. But I want to hear the sounds of the game. So even though it was a historic round in the sense that there were so many close finishes in round four, so would you get this? It was the first time that there's been margins of one, two, three, and four points on the same weekend. Oh, wow. There's a lot of chatter about the game, and granted, the quarters are lower, but the low scores, the uh, really congested footy, it's it's looking a bit ugly and people are having a bit of a sad. But anyway, we'll talk about that more. In our Thursday night fixture on John Kennedy Sr.'s unfortunate passing and eerily enough, uh, his grandson, John Kennedy's, uh, sorry, Josh Kennedy's 250th game for the Swans, the Sydney team really failed to lift, but for Papley's four goals, the Dogs won comfortably 67 to 39. Yeah, I really feel like this game was perfectly summed up by that second quarter contest between Marcus Bontempelli and Isaac Heaney. It just it wasn't that the Swans weren't committed to the contest. It wasn't even that they lacked the skill. The Dogs were just a little bit better on the day, really. And, uh, you know, last week, I suppose like last week, the Dogs seemed to win a lot of the contested footy. Their pressure was intense. It seems odd to me that Sydney actually won the tackle count so easily, but I guess the Dogs maybe did have their hand on the ball a little bit more. But... Yes, it's a, it was it was interesting, and it, it is great to see the continued rise of the dogs. Um, some of the, you know, my my favourite moment of this match actually was showcased by the future of the dogs. You had Bailey Smith, who was brilliant. He broke through a tackle with this beautiful hand pass to Caleb Daniel, linked up with Patrick Lipinski. Quick hand pass to Tim English, who just put an absolutely perfect pass onto the chest of Latham Vandermeer. Tim English um, is Vander- looking good. He's looking really good, isn't he? Um, I was impressed. I mean. So, yeah, I mean, that was a passage of play with five blokes, all 23 and under. And it highlights just how good the dogs can be. It's, it seems weird that Caleb Daniel's only 23. It seems like he's been in the league for way, way too long to only be 23. But Wow. Wow, yeah. that is a surprise. A premiership mm. player, of course. Bont took a couple of really strong and brave marks and he made it look really easy. Uh, it, the Swans were really disappointing. And, and you know, the, I guess these emotional days, it's emotional enough when... Your heart and soul of your team has his 250th. But obviously, when his grandfather dies as well, that's very emotional too. And these things can go either way. Either you can really lift or you can fall a bit flat. And sadly for the Swans, they did fall flat. The, the curious stat is after the SCG was such a fortress and such a tough stomping ground, in the last two years, the Swans have won more games away than at home, which is quite remarkable, it's got to be said. But again, you know, Wayward failing to make uh, the most of opportunities. There was a stretch of the game where the Swans had nine of ten inside 50s. 
and they only had four behinds to show for it. So really, they, they had their chances, uh, but the dogs kicked straighter and played better for longer patches, and that was the difference. That's it. That's it, yeah. I mean, we mentioned the, uh, the Bonson and Pally probably best on ground, I would suggest. Um, Tim English, as we said before, was fantastic. 22 touches, six marks and a goal. Jack McRae was superb. Tom Papley was probably yeah, the lone wolf up front. And um, yeah, she probably looks an early shoe in for an All-Australian berth the way he's playing. But, um, but yeah, far too many passengers for the Swans, unfortunately. Without Papley, we'd fail to kick four goals in a game, I reckon. It's, it's looking very shaky without all those bigs. Mm, true. So my question out of this game for you, North Melbourne, Essendon, and then the Melbourne Demons for the Dogs in their next three games, that really should see them five and two after seven rounds. Do you think this team can make some noise considering the injuries? Obviously, they've just come out of this game. Well, a couple of things. Well, and that's a very good point because two, they, had, they were without two players for nearly a half of footy. So that made the win even more impressive. Uh, Little little uh, note of caution. I don't know if we can trust the fixturing at all, uh, even next True. week, let alone three weeks ahead. But the, the dogs list was touted as being um, a really good one. You know, a lot of experts were picking them to be a top four team. So they're probably living up to the expectations of, of a lot of people. Uh, and absolutely, why not in this weird season? Why couldn't they be a contender? Good call. Good call. No, I, I definitely think that they're priming themselves very nicely. And I don't know, it's, it's still early days, you know, seven games into a 17-game season. They're, they're priming themselves nicely, though, for a mid-season run. So what was probably the match of the round, and granted, uh, both of us have admitted we didn't see the Blues and Bombers, but this one was slightly high scoring. The Giants, 66, defeated Collingwood, 64 at the showgrounds. Uh, great, tough footy, felt like finals footy. And just when you thought Collingwood were maybe the best team in the competition, they had a loss. Yeah, this look. This was a sensational response by the Giants. I kind of looked at it as you know, the week before GWS were up for a fight. This week they were up for the fight. They were ready to to come in, be hard at the footy. They weren't looking to knock guys out. They were just looking to to get those hard balls. Toby Green was massive in and and in what was a low scoring game through two and a half quarters. I think he really stood up. His three goals were absolutely crucial. Uh, Josh Kelly was also back. His twenty one touches and constant run through the center was pretty much exactly what uh, what got a few of the, the Giants' goals. Oh, Toby Green was absolutely man of the match, and he was huge. And there was a really... Um, uh, my favourite passage of, of the game was in the second, where Dacos probably gave away a, a free, played the whistle, which didn't happen, kicked a lovely snap, and then about a minute later, Toby Green tries to claim a mark, realises in a split second that they're not going to pay it, and then snaps it over his shoulder... Uh, spectacular passage in the game. But the other thing that was interesting with Toby Green during the game, so he took a mark which would have been going back for his fourth for the match for about 25 out on a pretty gentle angle, the sort of kick that, that Toby Green would have for breakfast. And rather than going back and slotting it in a very close game, he decided to give off a little hands to uh, Jeremy Cameron, who missed his snap. And at the time, I'm thinking, bloody hell, what are you doing? Like That could be a match-losing situation. But then funnily enough, you wonder, was showing confidence in his teammate what helped kick Jeremy Cameron that massive goal in the fourth quarter, which basically was the game winner? It's possible. Uh, It's great to see. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's great to see and it's not great to see at the same time. You don't like to see guys passing up one from 25 metres out. But yeah, it's it's very possible that that gave him a little little jolt of, you know, we need you to be here. And I mean, that goal that he kicked was very much a a Jeremy Cameron goal. He's he's one of these guys that will, will seemingly always slot them from that spot. And, uh, yeah, great to see. I really, really enjoyed, though, the other T Green, uh, second game of Tom Green, who I thought yes. was absolutely fantastic. So, he was um, He's just another one of these young guys with a real man's body. It looked like he was really up for any sort of contest, which was, which was great. So, yeah, look, if we want to talk about the other guy that came in, Brody Grundy, whilst he absolutely smashed it in the hitouts, let's talk about Shane Mumford. How good was he? They played him very well in the ruck. He's, for mine, the best ruckman in the competition. And GWS played him superbly well. A bit of a tag team effort. I thought Mumford's efforts in the in the late stages of that game actually kept the contest fairly even, which was probably crucial in the Giants holding on. So, um, And again, it's worth noting that the Giants won against a very good opponent without 
their heart and soul, Phil Davis, and without also a very important backman, Zach Williams, playing so in the second for much of the second half. So it was a very gutsy and impressive effort by the Giants. Again, rumours of their demise greatly exaggerated. Yeah, I mean, Zach Williams in particular, he was having an absolute cracker of a game. He had 21 touches when he went off. So he was looking like he was well and truly on target to smash through the 30. And, and he was, yeah, he was absolutely killing it. Phil Davis obviously is a, a huge, uh, huge loss. And, you know, the hamstrings uh, are not great at the moment. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, look, this one still unfortunately comes back to the whole Jeremy Howe incident. That, that for me is just the, the moment of the game that sticks out and it probably will for the rest of the season. Look, Nathan, a quick question for you about, about this, this game. The after-the-game stuff with Heath Shaw, did you, did you happen to see that? Oh, that was terrible. Yes, the sound was like, terrible. I actually switched off after a few minutes because you couldn't hear anything. Like, such a cool idea, but why did it have to be done on a mobile phone? I mean, I know yeah, the maybe they don't have cool. access. It was, geez, was that not one of the worst experiences you've had in, in terms of that sort of thing? Well, I switched off, quite frankly. Yeah, I, I gave it a go initially, and then it just it was useless. Yeah. It, it felt like such a shame. I feel like there were a lot of really funny stories and great one-liners in there that were lost because of the quality. It's such a shame. I do like Heath Shaw. He's, he's, uh, his sounds of the game clips were really interesting. and he, he, uh, he's, he's such an important player for that team. Bring back Roaming Brian, I say, but hopefully that's something they'll refine a bit and it might be fixed for next week. So at risk of making you sigh once again, Stewie, which seems to happen all too often during this segment, this time the Eagles lost to the power, 89-41 to 41 at Metricon. Charlie Dixon kicking six goals, four of them in the third. And Schofield, who replaced McGovern, now facing suspension himself for a headbutt. Yes, I was expecting a 50-point loss, so not too far off. The good news to come out of it, though, was it was only our defence and part of our midfield that was the problem this week. So um, the numbers really probably don't indicate it as much, but Tim Kelly and Elliot Yo just aren't quite there yet. Another average performance from Jack Redden. Uh, Probably the only real big positive for me was the return to some sort of form from Josh Kennedy with four goals. So, um, yeah, the, the big story is definitely what you alluded to is Charlie Dixon. He just looked so dangerous. Six goals, two, 15 touches, seven marks. We had no answer for him at all. Um, and it really made that McGovern injury look a little bit worse than it probably was. Porter just relentless, though. You know, plus 14 in the tackles. 15 to 5 on tackles inside 50, which is a, you know, quite a big stat in terms of locking it in there. Port just look a class above. And probably the, um, the only exciting part for, for the Eagles is that the next three weeks of us, for us is Sydney, Adelaide and Fremantle. So we may potentially get back into this season finally. But, uh, well, again, you know. this week, Sydney, anything can happen after that. But uh, I take my hat off to Port. They're looking very, very good. So, admittedly, a couple of games that we didn't get to see, but we'll cover quickly. The Saints in an upset. Tigers looking shaky even more so now. The Saints winning 93-67 to with ex-premiership player Dan Butler kicking three against his old team. Yeah, this was one I, I was actually really hoping to, to get to see. I didn't get a chance to, unfortunately. But I think, yeah, there's, there's the big story for me is the, the goal kicking. 15 goals, three. What, what an amazing thing, especially in the season that we're having where... You know, usually with 18 scoring shots at the moment, we're seeing seven goals, eight goals if we're lucky. But to, to be able to get a team to kick 15 goals three, I think is a, is a, a really, really great stat. The Blues held off the Bombers just 52-51 at the G. After being the hero last week, Eddie Betts was nearly the GOAT this week, giving away a 50-metre penalty in the dying seconds to turn a kick in into a kick from basically the midfield. However, an ensuring Jacob Townsend shot from 50, which would have won the game, fell slightly short again. Yeah, disappointing yet again. But you know what? Good on, good on Carlton. It is really, really great to see Carlton being competitive and playing good footy. And again, you know, we'll reiterate the point. Really, really disappointing not to, to get to see more of this match at the time. So, Well, a, a disrupted week, obviously, for the Bombers with the Conor McKenna stuff, even though in the end he didn't test positive. But with, with that disruption, it's not a huge surprise that they had a loss. So this was slightly anticipated. But yeah, hey, look, Blues are really looking good. And they do have some good new recruits and the young guys are getting a year older. So who knows? The Blues could scare a few people this year. Speaking of scaring people this year, the Suns are scaring all sorts of people. Winning again, their third since the uh, comeback. 
64-51 this time against the Dockers at Metricon. Neither club kicked a behind in a very entertaining first half. The first behind being the 14th scoring shot of the evening. And basically, I think the difference was Gold Coast kicking five in very quick succession, including two in about 10 seconds of game time by Ben King in the third quarter when he slotted one. They won it out of the middle with one quick kick, slotted another one. That's basically ball game. Yeah, they seem to have that real knack of being able to kick goals very quickly do the Gold Coast Suns, which is very, very exciting to watch. And, you know, we, we continue to see this amazing rise of Matt Rowell, another 20 touches, two goals, five tackles. The, the kid is an absolute superstar. You know, a lot of, a lot of help from guys like Took Miller and Brandon Ellis. They are... Definitely looking like the real deal. Um, and again, you know, going back to the injury side of things, obviously sad to see someone of, of the ilk of, of Nat Fife going out with that uh, that hamstring. But I guess that's them's the breaks right now. It feels like with the Dockers, I've seen every game uh, so far this season for them. And it feels like if if they hadn't had a couple of brain fades, they could very easily be 2-2 two and two or even 4-0 and oh if they'd just corrected a few little bits and pieces in very short snippets of the game. But alas... They are 0-4, and and it is the Battle of the Wooden Spoons next week when they play the Crows. Speaking of the Crows, they went down to the Lions at the Gabba, 83-46. I think one of the key things about this one was the Lions were 10 goals, 23 behinds, 83, which kept the uh, Crows in the game. They did actually peg it back to only a three-goal margin at one stage. But once again, Charlie Cameron's excellent start to the season continued. He kicked two goals and had an absolute screamer against his old club. So speaking about All-Australian, he'd definitely be shortlisted at the moment. Uh, Who's going to take the title off him for Mark of the Year after that? That was an absolute belter of 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 a grab. I mean, so clean. And the thing that I think was so amazing about it was how high he got without actually getting a sit early on. So he was probably, I don't know, good... I mean, he would have been well and truly above 10 feet off off the ground in terms of his hands before he even got the sit. So, yeah, absolutely spectacular. The usual suspects for, for Brisbane at the moment, Lockie Neal, 31 touches, Jared Lyons, 24, Hugh McLuggage, another 24, and Jared Berry, 23. So, you know, these guys through the midfield are absolutely churning apart other other midfields right now. So, you know, Brisbane are starting to, to look like the, the Brisbane team that we were all expecting at the start of the season. And then a couple of games where uh, they've copped a lot of news for the wrong reasons, and that's because of the poor spectacle and the poor play as well. So first we had the Cats narrowly beating the Ds 47-44 to at the MCG. There were four goals total between the Demons and the Cats in the first half, which worked out to be a goal every 77.5 disposals. And... In better news for Asava Radicalia, and by the way, I rewatched the footage from last week and it was worse than I remembered. Uh, he had a better game this week with a massive bomb from outside 50 in the third, which helped eventually get the Cats over the line. I didn't see the whole game. I saw bits and pieces throughout and then I watched the last 10 minutes. It was really interesting. Uh, Paddy Dangerfield had a mark from oh, maybe 20 out. It was the one he would normally have for breakfast. But absurdly, he, not only did he miss, he missed it all, uh, which kept the D's in the game, but they they just couldn't uh, couldn't get over the line, even though they did have a chance late. Yeah, look again, this was one I didn't really get a chance to see much of, unfortunately. Uh, it was a a bit of an interesting weekend. We're actually down in Margaret River at the moment, enjoying the the beautiful wineries and and breweries down here. So I didn't get it get to watch quite as much footy this weekend as I would have liked, but uh, managed to see the last sort of couple of minutes of this this game, which you know I obviously didn't get to see all of it, but I, I quite enjoyed the few minutes that I did see. Nice plug for WA Tourism there, Stu. Got to got to do it. And then finally, our final game, it was at Marvel. The Hawks blew a 31-point lead, but held on against the Kangas 58-54. Hawthorne had 69 tackles without a single holding the ball for a kick. And if I may quote Alastair Clarkson, if that's the spectacle that we're trying to search for in our game, then our game's in a dreadful space. I'm sorry for shit-counting our own brand and our own club and our own team in this space, but I was so disappointed in the way we played and I was so disappointed with the way the game is being played at the present time. It's frustrating and it must be frustrating for our fans. So I guess, Dewey, now that the excitement and the sheen of comeback has come off, uh, the criticism and the pitchforks are coming out. Yeah, they are. This this was fascinating seeing this come from a coach and I certainly don't, uh, don't begrudge him you know, the, the, the limelight and being able to say this. I mean, it, to, to have that many tackles and not have a single holding, it, it, it seems impossible 
that there wouldn't be at least one in there that, that could be a judge holding the ball. When you consider how many times guys drag the ball back in or try and take on a tackle and get spun around, you know, 720 degrees, it's it's just impossible that there, there can't be one of those. So I completely understand where he's coming from with this. And it's certainly, I think the problem is that when there's, when there's not these sorts of decisions being made, it creates the sort of football where there's just too many contests. You'll have five or six or seven bounce downs in a row and it, and it, it just becomes boring. You need a bit of that free-flowing footy. And, and I think that's what some of these games really lacked. So the calls for rule, rule change suggestions are getting louder and louder. We won't look at that this week. We might look at that in coming weeks. We thought we'd finish the show with basketball, Stewie. Yeah, some some interesting stuff happening. We'll start off with the NBL first and uh, news out of the Hawks camp where Brian Gorgian has become the newest coach. He was amazingly successful with the Spectres, the Magic, the Titans and the Kings, but he hasn't been in the league since 2009 when he coached the South Dragons. So I guess, Nathan, question, how much has the league changed since then? And at 66, will his game plan still work? The league has changed a little since then. Obviously, we've had some rule changes, um, but I, I fully expect him to do a great job. He is inarguably the uh, greatest coach in NBL history. And it, what a fascinating story for the Hawks. After being on life support only a few weeks ago, in the last fortnight, they've managed to get Brian Colangelo and probably due to his clout, now Brian Gorgian coming back after a stint in China and other places. I think this is great news for the Hawks. This is great news for the league. I can almost guarantee that Brian Gorgian's recruiting power will be good too. So great news for a foundation club that was looking on the brink only less than a month ago. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the question I posed was really more of a, just just let's have a little bit of a bit of a chuckle about this. The guy's an absolute genius. He's yeah, he's been absolutely fantastic. It's funny when you said, you know, the, the greatest coaches of all time, I guess my mind immediately went to Lindsay Gaze, but I guess his coaching a lot of the time was just give the ball to, to Andrew and Leonard and Mark Radke and let them do their thing. So I, I think and Gorgian, how many championships did he win? Maybe two versus Gorgian's, Gorgian's two handfuls, <laughs> nearly. Well, he was, he was very blessed to have some amazing Kings teams in that, that early 2000s. And obviously his magic sides were absolutely stacked. And funnily um, enough, he played for Lindsay Gaze. He recruited him over for the he, Tigers. He started in the league as did. a player. So Yeah, played eight seasons with the with the Tigers in the late seventies and, and early to mid eighties. So yeah, really, really uh, great great story though coming out of out of Illawarra. Hats off to Kestelman as the CEO uh, of the NBL. He's done a tremendous job and he continues to to win points. So the NBL is just looking on the up and up and obviously we're in difficult times with COVID, but uh, the NBL seems to be in a pretty strong, about as strong a position as it could be, particularly when you reflect on kind of the up and down history that it's had. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So from a, a league that's doing so well to a league that's really, yeah, in a, in a weird spot right now in the NBA. So we've had, obviously, a bit of a chat about the restart and what, what's going to happen, supposedly, in Orlando over these next few weeks. We've had quite a few players testing positive, though, over the last uh, last few weeks as well, or certainly over the last week anyway. Um, if I run through a list of some of these players that, that have tested positive and have come out and actually spoken about it, you've had Alex Len from Atlanta, Jabari Parker and Buddy Heald of Sacramento, Nikola Jokic in Denver, Derek Jones Jr. in Miami, and Malcolm Brogdon of Indiana all test positive really in the last week. Um, Jokic hanging about... out with Novak, of course. Yeah, of course, of course. Probably got it off him. Probably did, actually, which is disappointing. But um, about 5% of the league's tested positive so far, but very few have actually gone public to release this information. Does that worry you a little bit that guys aren't prepared to disclose this stuff? Uh, look, to be honest, it doesn't. Uh, I'm, I am a firm believer in, in, you know, you're entitled to some privacy, particularly with medical issues. I think the people that need to know will know, which would include you know, all the, the league and the staff and the doctors and everything like that. So to be honest, it doesn't bother me too much. Uh, as long as those that, that do know that they have it are telling the right people and it's dealt with yeah. properly. Yeah, I suppose that's probably the big thing. I mean, I guess a lot of people have been 
putting that information out on things like Twitter and, and, and other parts of social media to try and make sure that the people that they've been around are getting tested. So I guess as long as people are doing the right thing and actually letting those people know it's, it's probably okay. Um, it's just scary though, because we've obviously seen the damage that that one case with Rudy Gobert did where it shut the entire league down. So we're hoping that that sort of thing doesn't happen under here. So just stay away from Greg Popovich, all of you. Yeah, please, please. So the good news, I guess, is that the schedule is out. We've had a, a chance to have a bit of a look at this and, and, you know, I've sort of put together a little bit of a list of, of winners and losers. Most of them are, are very, very similar to what a lot of people are coming out with. So um, we'll spend a few minutes really going through these. Um, some of them are pretty obvious. Um, the first one, obviously, in the winners list is New Orleans. Um, so the, the Pelicans have managed to only have three games against current playoff teams, including Memphis, who they're trying to catch. And they've also got Utah, who are missing Bogdan Bogdanovic, and then the Clippers. I think uh, this, this one's a bit funny because there's been conspiracy theories saying that the league wants to get Zion into the playoffs. Uh, but what people kind of forget when they say that is that New Orleans did have the softer strength of schedule before the shutdown. And so it's kind of reflected in the remaining teams. So I don't have too much of a problem with that. Uh, you know, it should have been done on strength of schedule. So yes, they're playing a lot of teams that are actually below 500 those that are still around with the eight missing. But uh, I don't think there's any conspiracy here. Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, look, it will be great for ratings, obviously, if, if they can get in. And it looks about a 99.9% chance that they would play the Lakers, which is fantastic. The thing that I found really interesting is that the last four teams that they play, who are Washington, San Antonio, Sacramento, and Orlando, because of the order that they're playing them in, these four teams will probably not have anything to play for at that stage anyway. So it's going to be incredibly shocking if the Pelicans don't make it. You mentioned LA uh, and, and they're, they're playing on day one, which is the 31st of July. So, so nearly a month away um, from now, but I actually think the league missed a trick there. You mentioned ratings too. Now they've, they've scheduled an LA Derby on day one, along with Utah and New Orleans. I think they've totally missed a trick because basically the, the LA teams are so far ahead on the ladder. They're going to treat this eight game period as a bit of a preseason. So why would you make that the first game when the Stars might only be playing 20 minutes in it? I think it would have been better to kind of have the, the bigger team showcases later in the back end of that eight-game uh, stretch as they start to play full minutes and as they start to head into the playoffs and start to prepare for the proper games. I think the most exciting games are going to be the, the Memphises, the New Orleans uh, Sacramento, those sort of teams. The teams that are Portland, uh, I would say San Antonio, but with LaMarcus out, we've got no chance. Um, but th- those will be the exciting games because they're the teams that are clawing and scratching their way into the playoffs, hopefully. Mm. So moving on to the next winner, Philadelphia. Um, another fairly easy schedule. They start off with Indiana, who might not even have Victor Oladipo back anyway. Then they've got five straight games against sub-500 teams. So that's a really great run for them. And then they get the Raptors and Rockets to start ramping up towards the playoffs. I can actually see Philly potentially jumping up to the four seed, um, which could lead to a really juicy matchup with Jimmy Butler and the Heat, um, which would be absolutely must-see TV with two of the oh, biggest yeah. trolls in the league. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Any and to be honest, fourth one? would still be lower than expectation for Philly. Yeah, probably would be, actually. I think a lot of people had them either in, in the two or the three seed. But, you know, it's been a, a really up-and-down season for them. And I think they'll just be stoked that they've managed to have Ben Simmons back fully healthy by the by the time the league started again. So, really good news for them. Absolutely. Probably one of their biggest competitors uh, at the moment is the Boston Celtics, who are probably also winners there. Um, they've got the fifth easiest schedule out of the 22 teams. And considering how tough Toronto's schedule is, they could easily make up the three games and pass them for the two seed, which gives them either Brooklyn, Orlando, or, or Washington in the first round. Uh, probably Brooklyn or Orlando. You wouldn't expect the, the Wizards to make it. Um, and it's definitely going to be a much easier out than than sort of playing whoever finishes sixth, which could be an Indiana or a, you know, a Philadelphia if things go wrong for them. So there'll definitely be winners there. Do you think there'll be a bit of foxing, Stewie, and, and teams will win or lose on purpose to try and forum shop and get the matchup they want in the first round? As we know with the NBA, the postseason, it's almost like a different sport. And matchups are so important over a seven-game series. I, it, I definitely think this will happen. Uh, as we get closer and closer to the end of these these little eight game pockets, I would not be surprised at all if we saw teams resting 
three, four, five players, you know, their entire starting lineup potentially, depending on how things go. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all with that. So moving on to the losers now, um, the Portland Trailblazers. So after they play the, the, the Grizzlies in their first game, they get a, a matchup with Boston, then Houston, Denver, the Clippers, and Philadelphia, who are all vying for positions. And then after that, they get Luca and the Mavs, who potentially could be looking to, to try and make their way up the standings as well. So it's really not looking very likely that the, the Blazers are going to be making it to the playoffs this year, sadly. Damian Lillard's uh, had a lukewarm kind of reaction to the restart anyway. So Portland are one of the great unknowns, aren't they? It'd be very interesting to see what, what they dish up. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, though, to think that last season they were in the conference finals against the Warriors. And there's a very, very strong possibility that they won't even make the playoffs. Crazy. I think they overachieved a little last season. They're definitely a playoff team, but the Western Conference Finals was a very good effort. It was, yeah. I, I definitely had Denver beating them in the, in the previous round, but you know they, they managed to, to grit that one out. Moving on to the next losers, the Toronto Raptors. Um, the Raptors actually get both the Lakers and the Bucks, as well as Boston and Denver. So they get both the one and three seeds in the East and Western Conference. Plus they get Philly and Denver to finish, who will still probably be pushing for seeding. So they could very easily lose their two seeds to Boston. I think it's three or three and a half games. It's very, very likely. Again, though, if they're playing teams like the Lakers, who treat it as a preseason, maybe the Lakers are a good team to be playing. Potentially, potentially. It will depend, I guess, a little bit. I mean, the Lakers can lock up the number one seed in the in the Western Conference by beating the Clippers on that opening night, so to speak. So it is possible that the Lakers may start resting LeBron and Anthony Davis in, you know, sort of alternating games, I guess. So they, they to me, to me it actually team. makes more sense to start and build. So rather than rest at the back end of the eight games, you rest at the front end and you work guys in because you don't want injuries. And then by the eighth game, they're playing their normal minutes. That's how I would do it. But it'll be interesting to see mm. what happens. It will be. It will be. Um, the Miami Heat, they went from having the easiest remaining schedule in the league pre-shut down to the fourth hardest. So this is uh, not really a lot more you need to say from that. It's, it's wow, not a so particular... much for maintaining strength of, strength of schedule. I didn't realise that. Yeah, I think they're very much the outlier in this one, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, Miami definitely did not get a particularly great draw. So it be interesting to see how the Heat go. And then Washington and Phoenix to finish it off. The TV people obviously think that the the Wizards and Suns have very little chance of making it, so they haven't given them any ESPN, TNT, or ABC games. I actually wouldn't be surprised if a couple more players from these teams actually drop out and decide that they don't want to play. Well, obviously, Davis Bertans isn't playing for Washington because he's in a contract year. Uh, the Phoenix Suns probably shouldn't have even been invited back, let's face it. They were mathematically a possibility, though, so they had to, I guess. But... Uh, Probably sad for those fan bases, but not 100% surprising. Everyone's saying that the Lakers are losers in this one, but I, I think them and the Bucks are actually the only ones that, well, they're the only ones that are guaranteed their spot. So it could very easily be that they are winners in this because they don't have to take as many risks with, with their players. If anyone has any slight niggles, they can just, just leave them out for a game. Absolutely. I believe that 100%. And I guess this is the benefit of, you know, being higher in the seedings when the shutdown occurred. They have much more flexibility to treat those eight games in a different way, depending on the health of their players, the preparation, what shape everyone's coming back in, all those sorts of things. So, yes, there are still benefits to being a high seed. Definitely. So just very, very quickly as well, um, before we wrap things up, just wanted to quickly run you through the, the players that have actually opted out of the restart. So Trevor Ariza from Portland, Davis Bertans, as you mentioned, from Washington, Avery Bradley of the LA Lakers, Willie Cauley-Stein of Dallas, Wilson Chandler of Brooklyn, I think just opted out today, and Demarcus Cousins of, who cares really, um, but yeah, they're all opting out. So Marcus is a free reasons. agent, isn't he? There would have been some he, teams licking their lips, hoping to probably sign him. Yeah, he, he hasn't signed with anyone yet, which is potentially surprising. But he's just decided that he will focus on next season. He's foregone a lot of money over his young career already. So, you know, you could understand why yes. he would play a, a conservative approach here. But he's, he's also made a lot of money as well. So True, so but bad. given the star power, he could have made a hell of a lot more compared to some of his peers. Mm, very, very true. So what are your thoughts? Do you think Avery Bradley is the biggest one there? 
Uh, oh, given the team he plays for and given how important defence is in the playoffs, yes, I probably would say that he is. Uh, he has a special needs child, so you can't blame him for uh, or, or a child with respiratory problems. Or, yeah. so, so you can't, you can't blame him for opting out. But no, that is a big loss for the Lakers. And who should step in in his place? Oh, J.R. Smith. Smith. I didn't think LeBron would want to play for him again after that uh, unfortunate incident I mentioned last week. Yeah, I, th- I think Kentavious Caldwell Pope and Alex Caruso will probably take a lot of his minutes, but I agree entirely. I actually made made the note that a defensive stopper in the 2-3 position in a conference with guys like Paul George, James Harden, Donovan James Mitchell, Harden. Yep. super duper Even important Dame to have those. Yep. Yep. It's, it's really important to have that. So I think he's going to be a really, really big out for the Lakers. And look, it could potentially even hand some of the, a little bit of the favoritism towards the Clippers. I think, I think you could actually make an argument that the Clippers coming back full strength may actually have a, a slight advantage over the Lakers. Uh, they, they played them very well in the, the regular season so far. And I, I cannot wait to see how this first game goes. You know, first game back is going to be an absolute cracker. I'm very tempted to pick Clippers as my champion, I've got to say. As I mentioned in an earlier episode, uh, I think the the neutral or or the lack of crowds in the hub will actually benefit them because had they come up against the Lakers in the finals, they basically would have been playing all away games, even if their logo was on the court and and such. Uh, So absolutely, the Clippers would be licking their lips and they'd be thinking, you know, we could get our championship here. And Kawhi will be thinking, I'm going to get my third with my third team. Well, Stewie, another big week. No doubt there'll be yet another one next week. What are you out for? Goodness me, every single game this round of AFL looks amazing. I mean, can I run you through the round just quickly about how amazing this looks? Go. So Thursday night, Carlton St Kilda. I think that's going to be an interesting game considering how well Carlton are playing. You've got Collingwood-Essendon on the Friday night. I think Collingwood will be looking to bounce back. Obviously, the Eagles-Swans we spoke about. Geelong-Gold Coast, what a great litmus test for the for the Suns. The Western Bulldogs-North Melbourne game, I think that could even be quite interesting with the way the Bulldogs are playing. Brisbane play Port in the, the 1-3 matchup, which is, uh, you know again, a really, really great chance to see where Port's at. Adelaide and Fremantle, somebody's going to win a game. There'll probably be a bloody draw knowing the way that this, this season's gone. But, Better than um, Melbourne. Uh, Melbourne, Richmond, definitely not a gimme for them. And GWS and Hawthorne. Uh, there's every single game. There's something interesting to to look at. So Brisbane and Port gets the edge for me. But until next time, I'm Nathan, and I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.